What's up, Myco family? Welcome to the Microtrophic Podcast, a weekly conversation series cultivating a culture for cultivators. Designed for the passionate enthusiast, master mycologist, healers growing their own medicine, and psychonauts alike, this podcast is for mind, body, spirit, and mushroom. If this is your first time listening, consider subscribing for future episodes. Also, if you like what you hear today, make sure to share with your family and friends. Also, you can leave us a positive review on whatever platform you're listening on, whether that be Apple iTunes Music or Spotify. Now, with that said, let's get into it. What's going on, Myco family? Mycotrophic here, and welcome back to the Mycotrophic Podcast. I hope all you guys are doing amazing. Just want to say, first and foremost, thanks again for tuning in. And for those who have been listening, thanks for listening. If you guys are new here, consider subscribing for future content. This podcast is actually turning into something really fun and really informative. And I think it's going to be really good for the community. So you guys, I got some really exciting stuff to talk about today. This is really pertinent, important information for if you're starting or if you're intermediate, or even if you're a master mycologist, these are all things that I think we should talk about on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. If we want to be successful mycologists. So first of all, I'm doing amazing today. I had a nice microdose this morning. I did something different. I woke up and it was the first thing I did while I was still in that, like, you know, coming out of like theta gamma dream state. And I was still in like somewhat of a hypnagogic, you know, lethargic state. So I took it. So I actually forgot. So by the time I went up, uh, I took my dog out to go to the bathroom and I had my decaf coffee brewing also. I'm 12 days, no caffeine as of today. It's cold turkey it. Uh, amazing benefits. We'll talk about that later sometime. Um, but by the time I got back and I started my day, oh man, I was just feeling top of the world. My energy felt really good. Um, subtle energy, like in my hands, my body's more vibrant. I also tried a new supplement today, uh, some molecular hydrogen from Symbiotica. One of my good friends and a mentor of mine, Sherveen. If you guys know that company, you'll know it's amazing products. Um, I took some of that. That was really cool. And uh, started my day with some Shilajit as well. So I'm just like vibing today. And uh, I'm ready to bring that energy to the podcast today. So with that said, you guys, we've got some really cool stuff to go over today. Today's topic is going to be agar, plate work, and labeling. I'm going to try to break this up into about a 30-minute episode and uh, give you guys some point of view perspective and some of maybe my golden nuggets. I'm going to kind of just try to channel this information from my brain. I think what's most important and important is going to come out. Sorry if you can hear the siren in the background. I don't have the, the quiet room quite yet. <laughs> it's kind of just part of uh, living in an apartment, but um, big news. I'm actually going to be moving, going to be moving from sunny California to very sunny and hot Arizona. So if you guys are in the Arizona area, Send me a message. Let me know. Uh, but first and foremost, let's go ahead and start our show with our first segment, which a lot of you have been participating in. And I just want to say thanks for that. And that is our first segment of shout outs and reviews. So going over to Apple iTunes, there's actually three reviews. Holy cow. Um, that's really awesome. So we'll go ahead and start with the earliest. I think it'll get to a point where I'm not going to read every single one because there may be an influx or high volume of, you know, well, that's my, that's what I would love, <laughs> honestly, some, some great reviews, 
But um, as of right now, we got three, and I'll try to get through them really quickly. So if you guys are doing lab work right now, go ahead and clean your surfaces, turn on the flow hood, start prepping, and I'll do these first. All right, first one, it's from Sky Guy, spelled S-K-A-I Guy. This was left on June 9th. Uh, great quality audio and great... And I can't really read the topic. It doesn't like fully let me read it, but it's a five-star. And if you guys want to be a part of this first segment, all you have to do is head over to Apple iTunes, leave a five-star review, and a nice comment, question, or some kind of review, and I'll read your comment on the next episode. So this one says, I am a huge, I am huge on audio quality, and this podcast has great quality, great voice, and most definitely great topics. Quickly became one of my favorite podcasts after episode two. Excited for more. Sky Guy, thank you so much for your comment. I appreciate that. I took some time to really hone in and ask for help and it took me about a month, two months of like preparation, getting the right equipment, right gear to really like try to get a good sound because I'm a podcast fan myself. I listen to many podcasts, Joe Rogan. I mean, you name it, like, you know, the like, you know, I listen to a lot of spiritual stuff. I listen to health and wellness, uh, wealth creation, everything. So, and quality is kind of a cornerstone of a good podcast. So thanks for noticing. I appreciate that. The next one is from, Otrowell, O-T-R-O-W-E-L-L, and it's I Love Microtrophic. Well, thank you. I love you, too. One of the best podcasts out there. I've already learned so much. Can't wait for what's to come. So much to come. So many topics, and I'm really trying to hone it into where I'm giving you guys not stuff that's like redundant or repetitive or old information. I'm trying to give you the tip of the spear or what I think is most pertinent because a lot of the information... I mean, honestly, I could, I could write 50 subjects and I could just rant for half an hour about stuff that can easily be found in two minutes. I know a lot of you guys just like to listen to stuff too, but I want this to be worth your while, worth your time, even though it's free. Okay. Okay. All right. Next one. And last one for the day is from Crispin Coder. Coder. It's kind of a cool last name. It's uh, C-R-I-S-P-I-N Crispin and last name is C-O-T-E-H-R. Uh, an important voice for the people is what I think it says. Can't read the full entire topic. Uh, five star says, proud to see where you're at, bro. This podcast has been a joy to listen to thus far. Always learning, growing, and developing yourself. You're a huge inspiration to the masses. I'm not even really that deep into my into the mycology realm, but I love hearing about your experiences. Keep spreading the positivity and stay up, homie. Stoked to hear your voice again. Wow. Thank you, guys. Appreciate the five star reviews really helps with analytics helps for more people like yourselves to be able to hear the podcast and uh, lets me know how I'm doing you know good or bad so alrighty so first segment down let's get into it we're gonna talk about agar plate work things of that nature and uh, I went ahead on Instagram and did a questionnaire just asking like what topics do you guys want to hear and out of the like 20 plus maybe 30 something like that um, suggestions one that came up was from Gabe underscore Sanchez with two Z's. And he said, agar and plate work. And I was like, you know, that's something I can really jam on. That's something I could talk about for hours. So I can kind of condense that into a, you know, 30 minute time frame for sure. For sure. So that's where we're at today. And so with that said, um, where to begin, where to start, there's so many starting places for, you know, agar work. I think most importantly, I would start with, you know, why you're doing it. 
Um, there's, there's many facets of how agar can, can be used. There's many applications of how it can be used in mycology. Um, primarily, it's used, in, at least in my work, for um, going grain, or I'm sorry, going from plate to grain, inoculating grain, colonizing grain, so that that grain can be put to substrate. Um, now, agar can also be used for a multitude of things. You can do it for starting spores. You can do it for testing, uh, you know, like quality assurance for your liquid cultures. You can make liquid culture, you know, throwing a, an agar wedge into your sterilized liquid culture media. I mean, there's many things. Um, you know, I'm using it right now in, in the background. I'm actually going to be recording the third video for doing a voiceover for the third video of my cereal dilution or mushroom breeding series on my Patreon. So if you guys have been watching that, thank you so much. And if you haven't already, go check it out. So far, so good. I'm really hoping this works. I'm using spores that were not super old, but you know, six months or so old. So we'll see. I might have to redo it. But um, more or less, everyone's getting the progress process of what to do, what to expect. So yeah, super excited to bring that content to you guys. Agar um, at first was, and it's, I've got a really cool story actually. So at first I wasn't pouring my own. Um, I was actually getting plates from what used to be known as Bodhi Mountain Mycology, which is now what's known as Michael Alchemy. So my mentors over there, um, I would go over periodically, ask questions and pick up, you know, some substrate, pick up grain. And they were doing this in their apartment at the time. Keep this in mind. They were doing this in their apartment. Now they have this big, big, beautiful facility and they gave me a discount code, you know, like they're just, they're just not cool business. Now it's cool to see them go from, you know, ground up to, you know, from nothing to something that like, you know, they're in their warehouse right now, 103 degrees running sterilizers and making substrate for you guys at home. So you know, just keep that stuff in mind. They're, they're hard workers over there. So I would go over while, you know, while they're pressure cooking grains and I would, you know, ask questions. Um, those guys actually taught me how to sterilize my grains and how to, how to do that whole process with oats, you know, and same can be applied for Milo, things of that, gen, uh, uh, things of that nature. But, uh, I went over once and was ready to start doing agar this is before I had a flow hood. So what I was doing is I was picking up plates from I'd pick up, you know, 20 to 30 at a time. And, um, eventually, you know, I'd buy like 10 to 20 and, um, I would end up getting their, their, what's called a Frankenstein plate. So like at the very end of the, the media bottle, the process of pouring plates, um, it would start to kind of coagulate and there would be like, you know, chunks, uh, you know, chunks of like, you know, slowly hardening agar. So the plates weren't super even. Some of them had, you know, weren't poured enough. Some were over poured. Some were like, you know, um, cooled at like a slant. So there was almost like a culture slant plate, you know, but I took all of them because one, I was trying to practice and two, I really just needed it. And, um, around the same time I started doing culture work, which we're going to talk about today, you know, plate work, culture work, things of that nature. You know, so I was really keen about, um, I mean, I had an understanding that you could start from spore, but then when I learned that you could maintain cultures and not have to wait weeks to see if you had something and then have to take a transfer, you know, clean up a culture, I was like, oh, cool. I got to do this culture stuff. You know, I, I got to do it. What I was doing is I was getting plates from people and I was pressure sterilizing, you know, liquid culture media and I was making my own liquid culture. But the thing is, if you don't have a means of testing your liquid culture, it's kind of like shooting in the dark um, and you're 
more than at the time too. keep this in mind, guys, when I first started, I was doing open air transfers. I was doing open air everything. I didn't have I wasn't even using a still air box. I just kind of found it stupid. You know, not that if you're using one, you're stupid or it's stupid. I just was getting I was getting more contamination using the still air box, you know, following procedures and everything than if I was just being like really meticulous with my actions and my process and, you know, trying to stay sterile using gloves, the whole thing, you know, just having like nine jars in a 56 quart tub. And yeah, I could have gotten a bigger one. It was just so much work. It just wasn't, it just wasn't my jam at the time. So I was just doing open air stuff. So I ended up taking, you know, tissue uh, and I really started to work on my Mazatec. I started to kind of move towards, um, you know, wanting to clone and, and we're going to talk about, you know, cloning and labeling and that whole thing as this goes on after I kind of talk about this, but um, I was successful, but what I was doing is, and something I w- I'll touch on later too, is like, you know, to increase your odds of success, even with a flow hood, you know, let's say your pre-filter is a little dirty. Let's say you just like, you know, you sneeze or let's say like your cat rubbed up against you or, I mean, I suggest taking a shower and everything before, you know, wearing clean clothes before you do culture work, or any kind of lab work. But for some odd reason, let's just say a, a gust of wind from closing your door, just let's just say, let's just say there's not the most ideal clean conditions you're always going to get some kind of contamination. But what I was doing is I was trying to really increase my chances. So I was getting 10 plates and I was doing 10, 10 transfers from one plate I would get from someone and just hoping at least, you know, three or, you know, even just one would be successful. So what I was doing is I was kind of just like, we'll see what happens. And a lot of the time I would get like seven out of the 10 plates would be good. And maybe like three of them would get some kind of yeast or, and that's predominantly what I was getting is just yeast bacteria. No trichodermas or anything like that. Sometimes I'd get some weird shit that looked like coral, just like some weird, you know, alien versus predator looking bacteria on my plates. Um, and then from there, I was, again, I was pressure sterilizing grain, you know, in jars. And then I was open air transferring, putting half a wedge or a full wedge into the jar, shaking the jars. And that was my process. And out of those 10 jars or however many jars I was doing, I was hoping three of those would be cool. Are good to go. I was hoping at least four because I was doing four quarts of substrate or I'm sorry, four quarts into my substrate. Um, that was, I was doing like a one to what, uh, like a one to three ratio, but, um, I had lots of success off obviously. And I just kind of slowly saved up, reallocated all my funds from work into, into the hobby. And at one point was able to, you know, move into a two bedroom apartment and was able to, you know, get a flow hood and, before you knew it, I was growing lion's mane. I was growing all kinds of cool stuff, you know? And um, I owe it all to the Bodie Mountain Mycology or Michael Alchemy guys for, you know, being so gracious to teach me enough, you know, stuff to keep me going, to keep me motivated, to to give me plates, you know, that they didn't have to, even though they weren't going to sell, obviously, you know, I was, I was, you know, I was grateful to take them. And even if the plates weren't beautiful, I was still using it just for practice, so agar work is so important and it really ups you know it ups the game you know i was able to start testing my liquid cultures you know instead of like for instance made a whole entire liquid culture batch you know pulled like 40 syringes and then shot like 20 jars and all of them were bad because it just had a bacterial jar i had no idea that's what happens when you're doing you know open air stuff so regardless this is where we're at now now i'm in front of the flow hood and i'm doing culture maintenance i think that's what we're kind of get into next culture maintenance is so important but i think uh in a variable i wrote down here is how many varieties to keep in rotation this is huge so in the last few years i've probably ran something like 40 almost i'd say like 40 different varieties i've ran 
and started, you know, half of those from Spore and then done genetic work on most of them. A lot of them, I've just gotten a plate from a friend, ran it, see how it was, ran, you know, ran it two or three times to see if I liked it, tried them, you know, in, in a macro and a, ma a micro um, serving just to see how, you know, the, the experience was. Some made me super sleepy, some made me more energetic, some made me more focused, some were like doing ayahuasca, just like straight purging, you know, it kind of depends on the set and setting, obviously, but I, I, I've tried and grown 40 different, you know, varieties of Slosby cubensis. And I've gotten it down to where and I was at one point, I had like 10 different varieties, 12 varieties all on plates. And oh my gosh, I didn't realize the amount of culture maintenance that goes into that. So let's kind of talk about that a little bit. I think it's really important to understand your workflow too. You know, how many varieties do you really want to have, you know, at one point in time, they all have different growth rates. Keep in mind on agar, right? Some of them take, you know, almost no time to colonize. So like recently the Jack 3T, my personal cross of Jack Frost, which is a ape albino penis envy crossed with ghost. That one for me, uh, oh, and the Jack 3T is the, where am I at? <laughs> uh, is, is that Jack 3T that I have, the um, Trinity with the Jack Frost, that one colonizes so fast. It's one of the faster ones I've had. Um, Mazatec was super fast for me. Like we're talking like, you know, nine, 10 days on a plate, which is from like one transfer, which is pretty good in, in, you know, in like conditions, 70, 74 degrees, you know, Fahrenheit. And um, some of them like, you know, the penis envies, the ghosts, um, a lot of those varieties are going to, they're just going to take slower. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's because of um, the density of the fruit, how they pull more maybe their their nutrient requirements are higher their water requirements are higher i'm not sure it also depends on the media as well so for instance if you have like a media that has like higher density of or concentration of carbohydrates foods more readily available i have a belief that the mycelium will not have to reach and search for uh, food as fast so it may go a little slower not to say you should hardly you know put you know nutrients there there's you know the 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 composition of your agar it's it's real simple you don't have to get super technical with it some you know you know shout out to like tip of the cap mushrooms uh tim over there um you know there's all kinds of experimental you know agar medias and there's so many for so many different types of mushrooms even um you know and for in biotech depending on the organism you're growing but for mushrooms Essentially, you just need a simple carbohydrate like, you know, a light malt extract or golden malt extract. You need agar powder and water. The only thing I've added um, that I find to be pretty pivotal is um, yeast, like nutritional yeast. So uh, for a thousand milliliter media bottle, I'll, I'll put one liter of water, 20, what, 15 grams of agar powder, 20 grams of light malt extract and I'll do two grams of finely powdered nutritional yeast. And, um, I still have yet to make like a video on how I make that or my process with that. Maybe perhaps I'll do that once I move, I'll, I'll really, you know, go kind of go into depth in depth with that. But as of now, I've actually been ordering all my plates from Michael Alchemy, um, shout outs and you can use Michael Alchemy discount code Mycotrophic for five. We'll, we'll have an ad here. Tell you what, we'll just put an ad here again here in a couple of minutes. But you know, I've been ordering from them, 
and it really streamlines, makes everything easy. Those guys have an excellent process, super clean plates. And if there's for any reason, any, you know, um, if there's any reason I do it, it's for time because it takes, you know, it takes, it's, it's a, it's a process to have to pour your own plates too. That's, you know, ordering plates themselves, you know, from celltreat.com or sometimes there's shortages. It just makes sense. Um, and they have a really cool, uh, media that they've been using. They've been using the grain water from their Milo. So it's their Milo agar. And, and let me tell you just side by side comparison from their regular plates, which work well next to their Milo. Like I threw my, I threw my thrasher penis envy on, you know, two transfers, one to each. And it's like, it's like two or three days difference, um, in the, you know, faster, um, which is really interesting. So, you know, it might be the, the mineralistic qualities of the gypsum. It might be an excess amount of, um, you know, carbohydrates from the Milo itself. But let me tell you, their plates are amazing and I highly recommend them. So you guys can go to Michael Alchemy and check them out. But for culture maintenance, um, you got to keep in mind, it's not just one transfer per variety every time you, you know, so for instance, like you can take a transfer from your main plate, your master culture onto one plate. And then you can use that plate to either make, you know, the, the master culture to make, you know, you can throw it in a bag or you can throw a wedge into a liquid culture and then the rest into a bag. There's a lot you can do with that, or you can put it into the fridge for later, but you have to recognize that if you want to maintain or keep a culture, not every plate is going to be ideal. Not every plate is going to grow out, you know, how you want it to. So for instance, you know, I, I usually, and, and just like as a standard in my practice is I'll actually take three transfers of every variety I have. So imagine if you have 10 varieties going and you're taking three transfers, which, which at the moment right now, I don't have technically 10 varieties. I have like five and then I have like, you know, different genetic projects for each one, you know, generation one, two, and three of my Holy ghost that I'm working. Um, I have like, you know, specific phenotypes you know, or, or tissue cultures that I've taken from, you know, um, the certain generations, like my Holy ghost generation one has had a really cool fruit that was very large, very dense and had a really beautiful, like X on the top from like a cracked cap. So I named it cracked cap, I'm keeping that one, going to run that one. And, um, and then I have the you know, thrasher steel magnolia ghost V three, which is my favorite variety ever ghost G four. Um, I have, you know, the OG blue cap ape, I have one or two more in there. Um, and that's, that's a lot of work for me considering, you know, I'm trying to create content for you guys. I'm in the discord, I'm on Patreon. And then again, at the same time, I have a life that I'm trying to live. So when I do culture maintenance, I really try to streamline it. What really helps is having uh, the right equipment to do this. So, you know, a lot of you guys have asked, how do you get that perfect circle? How do you, you know, it's not for me taking a scalpel and, you know, making a really beautiful, you know, I'm not that good. I'm pretty good, but I'm not that good. Holy cow. I'm not like a ninja in agar world, but you know, what's really cool is, um, guys like, um, agar addicts, shout outs, dude. Hope you're doing good. Um, he, on his website, I don't know if he still has them periodically. He has, he's had uh, leather hole punches. They're stainless steel leather hole punches. And what's really cool is because it's a ferrous metal, you can put it into your induction sterilizer and it will heat up or you can use a flame. It'll heat up hold heat as well. Um, and what I've done is 
Um, you know, I'll take like, you know, I'll punch like 20 holes in a plate or something like that or however many I need. Usually it's, I'll take four just because, you know, for some reason I drop one, I have an extra one or, you know, so four or five punches, but then I'll use three for the for three transfers for three extra plates of agar. Right. Um, and then I'll use my, uh, parafilm to wrap them and I'll label them. We'll talk a little bit about labeling here in a moment too, how and why I label things the way I do. But first, before we go any further, a word from our sponsor. This episode's sponsor is brought to you by MycoAlchemy. MycoAlchemy is a family-owned and operated mycology supply business based out of Lake Elsinore, California. The guys over at MycoAlchemy are dedicated to their craft and focused on providing clean, consistent, and quality mycology products ready for pickup or shipped directly to your door. Guys, I haven't poured my own agar made my own substrate, or pressure sterilized grain in months. Whether you're a beginner or master mycologist, MycoAlchemy's products will save you time, money, and worry. Not only do these guys have excellent, high-quality products, but they're also some of my really good friends and mentors. So if you guys want to utilize some of their products in your grow, you guys can go to myco-alchemy.com. And if you're listening to this ad, you can receive 5% off your next order by using the discount code MycoTrophic. Also, you can check them out on their Instagram at mycoalchemy underscore. I know that you'll enjoy their products just like I do. So good growing. Let the guys at mycoalchemy know that mycotrophic sent you. Okay, so we're back. So before the ad, we were talking about agar work. And in particular, we were talking about transfers and how many varieties you have going. So considering, let's just say you have, you know, five varieties, you're going to want to take at least three. And why I take three transfers? I take three transfers because you have, you have to increase your odds of success. So also keep in mind, it's going to have to correlate with how many jars or how many bags you're going to be doing. So I do three pound bags and I put a whole entire 100 millimeter plate into one bag. So for every plate I have, essentially I have one bag. Um, and one of those plates is going to be used for transfers, whatever has the most like rhizomorphic growth, whatever looks more, more, most like the lightning, you know, kind of like roots. And it's important to try to isolate rhizomorphic growth because more than off, more often than not, it's going to have more primordia forming first. This is pretty straightforward for most of the cubes. Um, I mean, for most, for most mushrooms in general, actually. But in particular, you know, there's two types of growth. There's the tomentose growth. This is more of like the, the fluffy, slower growing, you know, um, kind of growth. I mean, you'll still get primordia, but more often than not, you're going to get more pins forming primordia, little micro pins forming from having rhizomorphic growth. So that's why we try to isolate that. So one plate is going to be used for transfers, at least two for, you know, you can also use the, the plate, obviously, that you transfer from as, um, as a, a plate you're going to putting into your bags. But I like to take at least three because you have to keep in mind sometimes for some reason, like I said, you know, fart in the wind, their girlfriend comes into the lab, your dog sneezes, you know, or you're, you got some ketchup on your shirt and you, you know, for whatever reason, you may have something on your clothes or your body or in your hair or just a gust of wind might go through the apartment, who knows, or your lab space. Um, and maybe one, to two or even all three of those plates could have some bacteria growing or some kind of yeast that you want to not have 
growing or growing alongside your mycelium. So let's say one of those plates is bad. Boom, you have two. There was a saying in the United States Marine Corps while I was in. It was one of my favorite sayings ever. And I applied this too. And I heard someone talking about this saying. And I was like, I'm going to apply that in mycology. It's that two is one and one is zero. This was to be said about having or how many magazines um, you had. So like, you know, if you shoot a magazine with our, however many rounds, you know, depending on the size of the magazine, let's just say, you know, you shoot one and then you only have one left. You don't have a backup. So what happens if you only have one? You shoot that one, you're, you're out. You're out of luck. So you need at least, you know, I think at least two. Two is one, one is zero. That's my thought process on that. And I hope that makes sense to you guys. So I'm not saying you have to do this. These are just the golden nuggets of like why I do the things I do. And, and it's gotten to me where I'm at. So if you take, you know, take advice, that's cool. You don't have to do it the same way I do it. Now let's talk about labeling and why. Why I label these things the way I do. Because... It's, it's really important. And, and first and foremost, I want to talk about something that I think should be talked about more in the community. And that is if someone sends you, this happened in cannabis, it's happening in cannabis and it just grinds my gears as Peter Griffin would say, um, really gets my goat. It really mashes my mycelium. I, I don't know. You get the point. It really bugs me when someone, you know, like if someone sends you a Landrace strain, you know exactly where it came from, what it is. It doesn't even have to be Landrace. Like if someone sends you the o the OG, and I'm seeing OG like original gangster, not ocean well, ocean grown. If someone sends you like the original albino penis envy, it has that beautiful phenotypical like very distinct blue cap a little bit of a curve on the end of the cap really like nice gills it's got like that fluffy you know stipe really like engorged fruiting body if you know it's ape don't get that shit and then rename it don't be like the cannabis guys i'm a cannabis guy I was in the cannabis industry for almost eight years. I did three or four years, three and a half, almost four years of retail. Did a couple years of marketing and promotion. And I did a lot of years from the time I was a young man. My dad had cannabis. You know, we were, we were growers. It was just something we did, you know, and I did many years of commercial cannabis growing in huge facilities with, you know, thousands of plants. And it just bugged me when someone would, when we would get something and then we would rename it. And I'm like, why the fuck would you rename that? Excuse my language. Not really. So don't get something and then rename it and call it like Joe Schmo's Schmape. Just fucking call it ape. If you want to, if you want to name it something. So for instance, if Microtrophic were to gift you a plate of ape, you can do your own pheno hunting. And I mean, pheno by phenotype, like if, you know, if a dog has six puppies, they're all different phenotypes of that specific genetic line. One's going to grow bigger. One's going to be a different color. One's going to be faster. One's going to be smarter. When you're doing pheno hunting and you're taking you know tissue from a mushroom fruiting body and you're putting it to a plate and you're capturing or trying to isolate that specific genetic quality, then you maybe can name it something. So call it like ape fatty or ape cluster, like name it something, but keep the original name. 
so important okay for labeling from all the way from you know from plate to fruit just keep it one thing and that way you know this has to do with a lot now that there's so many other there's so many other people you know breeding now that like it's going to turn into something like cannabis where like you're going to be able to see something and know where it came from or it's going to have a name you know oh like microtrophic bred that or like dc mac bred that like you guys are going to know so that's just my two cents on labeling you don't have to listen to me do whatever the hell you want i just you know as me being in this community for you know six almost seven years now i just think it's something that should be kept you know close-knit and, and under control now labeling so how and why you guys will notice that like i name i name things like g3 v4 let me explain this so for me this isn't coming out of like any textbook. This was just me and how I wanted to keep track of the different varieties that I had and me doing, you know, continuous genetic work on certain varieties. There had to be some, you know, numerical or, um, what phonetical, um, type of way of keeping track of these things. Now there's probably, there's probably a systematized, version of this like in in biotech or so, i never went to college for this i never went to school for this i watch a lot of the videos where you know you have professors and students doing this stuff but i've never like went to school for it so if, if you guys have feedback on maybe a better way i'm sure there is there has to be you know from like the genus the you know the strain the phenotype I mean, there has to be some like you know systematized way of doing this but this is how i did it so if i got something and I were to be like, ooh, this fruit came out beautiful. I want to see more of that. I took it and then I opened it up, took tissue. I would call it like ape V2. And I would call it V2 because it's a version two. It's just a different version of that original cut that I got. So that's that's how I'll do it. Now, if I took a, you know, from the next flush or next run of that, I would then again take tissue and I'm trying to take tissue from and maybe in another episode we can really talk about like pheno hunting I'm just gonna write this up top because there's we can really I'm gonna say pheno hunting and generations from spore because there's so much to talk about there and it's so fun too and I really want you guys to know that um, it's how you can really take a lot of your work into your own hands and create something that's not yours because you can't own nature let's get that out there you don't own nature you don't technically own anything because when you die you can't take it with you only your consciousness um now i, I, I now if i were to take another uh, you know culture tissue culture from that next flush of that you know let's say the v2 then i would try to take something that was similar in size similar to that original fruit that I, I was like, Ooh, that's a nice one. And I want to take tissue from, but if I took tissue from it, then that tissue, I would label it as V three. And that's what I did with my original ghost that was sent to me. That was given to me from one of my mentors. Um, and that's, I've, you know, and if I'm up to a V four V five, it's just because I've done genetic work on it's how I keep track of where it is. Now I have, multiple versions of my ghost like for instance i have a v3 which is a third generation so it's technically g3 v3 but i know it's just third generation because i i ran it you know that many versions of it uh 
but I also have a ghost G4, which is a generation four. So when I say generation, that means that I've four times or one, two, three, three times taken a spore swab, thrown the spore swab to an agar plate and have let that grow out. And I've isolated, you know, the strongest or most beautiful looking rhizomorphic growth. And I've continued on from a generational level now. Also, too, something to add or something part of my labeling system that I do that I've seen people do before I thought of it. That was just something, a commonality in the uh, the space or the community was to put um, T1, T2, T3 or something like that. And that just to me means transfer. So when you're going from, you know, spore and you first see that, you know, first little bit of rhizomorphic growth growing and you, you know, you sector out that piece and then you put it to another plate or the next plate, then that's going to be technically for me a T1. It's the first transfer from spore. So you're keeping the name. You can keep the name like ape or ghost, you know, what G2, right? Cause it would be a second generation since you took a spore swab and then you're going to say T1. Now as the next, you know, just as an example, as you go forward, it's going to be ghost G2. The next transfer is going to be T3, we're on three, right? Three. Um, and you don't have to do this and, you know, something in that, um, pheno hunting episode that we're going to, that I'm going to record we're going to talk about senes, senes, senes. <laughs> we're going to basically, basically talk about genetic degradation and when, you, when and why you should run something back from spore. And the same thing can be said for um, and can happen, has happened in grows that I've worked at um, in cannabis. Like just taking a clone from a clone and you get something like that's called genetic drift. So from the original cut you have, that's why it's really important to have a master culture or a mom plant. Take clones from the mom plant because you get this drift of genetic, you know, genetics traits um, of these phenotypes. And essentially you can have like a super, and I've seen this happen where we had this beautiful lengthy, what was it? It was called a Lottie Dottie. It was this really nice, like sativa hybrid and smoked tough, smoked great. Had this like beautiful, like lemoline citrus, you know, terpene profile it was super tall and by the time i ended up working there at the end of the you know two years of that at that specific place this plant almost looked more indica dominant just in the way it grew it was more stout it like definitely had more chunky buds um just the the whole growth pattern was just different it like went down two or three days in uh from its time of from from going into flower and finishing Oh man. So the same thing can happen with mushrooms. I like to give these analogies or, or different experiences kind of give like perspective, but the same thing can happen to mushrooms in that it can grow different. It can stop growing as fast. It may, um, may not be as, um, adept to, you know, fighting bacterias, um, or, I mean, the same thing can happen going from like one media to another too. That's just something I should talk about later on is like going from like you know you know regular agar to like you know a different you know like what 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 was really popular for a while everybody was using sorghum syrup i went i went and tried it out went from my regular agar mix to sorghum syrup and all my varieties from an enzymatic standpoint couldn't take or it took three or four transfers to get used to metabolizing all of the the nutrients that were in the um that were in the sorghum. So anyways, these are all important things to know. 
I hope that kind of cleared up and kind of started the conversation. We can have an agar and plate work, you know, two or second episode, you know, if enough of you guys send me messages um, or ask your questions here on whatever platform you're, you're listening to um, maybe Apple iTunes reviews or whatever, I'm going to get to it and it can be a continued conversation. This was kind of just like the floor. This was the opening to these kind of things. So hope you guys enjoyed all that. I have a really good time talking about genetics and right now um, I've got some really cool stuff happening in the lab, which kind of sucks and not because I'm doing it, but because I'm planning a move. So I'm like, I'm like, how's this going to work out? I'm doing my best to try to like, you know, stay afloat with trying to provide content and also keep the lab work going. I'm going to have to take a bunch of like culture slants and then, you know, put them on not deep freeze, but you know, just prepare, you know, that's another thing too. We can talk about later is, you know, slants and culture preservation and why. And I mean, there's just so much. And uh, I just want to say thanks again to everybody on Instagram who attributed to the questionnaire. And I asked you guys, what content do you want to see? And this is kind of a forever thing. If you guys just want to reach out to me on Instagram, which is um, Microtrophic Podcast. You can find me on there on Instagram. Go ahead and send me a message and ask me if I can talk about a top- topic. And it, I'm, I'm hoping it'll inspire me or inspire you. Uh, hope you know, it'll inspire me to you know get more creative. And, and I want to hear what you guys want to hear, obviously. Uh, and we'll work together. So with that said, so much love. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I hope you have an awesome day. Everybody have an amazing and safe 4th of July weekend with your family, friends, loved ones, and namaste. Have a good day. Don't contemplate. Meditate. See you guys on the next one. Peace. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this episode of the Microtrophic Podcast. I hope that you enjoyed and then you'll join me for the next episode. So make sure to subscribe and to leave us a five-star review. You'll have the chance of being featured on our next episode's first segment of Shoutouts and Reviews. You can also find me on Instagram at Microtrophic Podcast. You can also find me on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash Microtrophic. Also, you can join a growing community of 300 plus like-minded individuals on my Patreon at patreon.com slash Microtrophic for exclusive content, giveaways, and a community of new and experienced growers sharing growing technique, experience, and just having a sense of community, a safe environment to express yourself. And we're all doing this on our community Patreon Discord server. So until next time, namaste, have a good day, don't contemplate, meditate. See you on the next one.